Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends. I hope you are ready to be encouraged because we have an awesome conversation for you this week. I had the opportunity to chat with someone who has ministered to and inspired me over the years. Many of you would likely say the same. Erwin McManus joins me today. Not only is Erwin pastor and founder of the Mosaic Church movement, but he is also one of the most artistic and creative leaders of our time. He has written numerous best-selling books, including his latest, The Way of the Warrior, An Ancient Path to Inner Peace. Now, on this week's episode, Erwin and I discuss why the greatest battle we fight is our struggle for inner peace and how we can overcome those struggles. And this is a conversation not only for our people, but for us as pastors and ministry leaders especially. Um, so much in the news we've seen of pastors taking their own lives, and this this struggle for inner peace is so important to us now, and Erwin really spends a lot of time on that. Erwin also shares how to talk to those outside the faith of Christ about experiencing inner peace. And I tell you, um, you will want to re-listen to what he shares multiple times. It's so solid, you're going to want to share this with your team. Such a great conversation with a great man of God. So now, won't you please join me in my conversation with Erwin McManus. Erwin, it's been a while since we've had you on the podcast, so thankful you could be with us. Welcome back to the Church Leaders Podcast, brother. Hey, it's great to be back with you guys. Uh, so excited to uh, to get to have this conversation. Yeah, well, we're excited as well. Uh, I love your preaching, your teaching, your writing. One of the things that I've appreciated so much over the years is that the way you communicate seems to flow out of real life. It's kind of hard to describe, but but it's as I was actually reading your latest book, The Way of the Warrior, I, I did not feel as if it was something that was written to be read as much as it was written to be experienced, right? Mm, uh, I love that. It, yeah, it, I felt really as if it was connected, maybe even intertwined with my own life. It's it's something that I've noticed, Erwin, in, in your writings and even listening to to your podcast, listening to your your preaching. It's something distinctive about the way you communicate, brother. Can you tell oh, us? Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you just tell us a bit about uh, why you believe you communicate in, in this way, or how it came about? This this sense of intimacy and connectedness. Well, thank you so much. I do want to go back and say, even though it may not feel like my book is meant to be read, I really hope people read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, you, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about it, even this. Um, this week, because we're working on some projects here, we have uh, an opportunity to um, even maybe buy some property in Hollywood, and and um, which I've never done. I mean, we've been uh, property list the whole thirty years, pretty much up and out here, and 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 I started thinking about why Hollywood has been so important, uh, even for my own personal journey. Is that my communication style, my approach toward writing, my approach toward speaking is reflective of the incubator in which uh, I live in. And because people ask me all the time, how do I become a better communicator? How do I uh, expand my, my ability to speak to unbelieving world? And, and I just recently responded to someone. And I said, look, if you want to become a better communicator, then speak it to audiences who disagree with you. Mm. And, and I think a huge part of it is that I'm talking to a very, um, 
to an audience, to a community, to a people who are really far from the gospel. They're really far from a belief in the scriptures, uh, from their own belief that Jesus could be the solution, the answer they're looking for. And I had to find ways to connect to people on a really human level. You know, when you're preaching to people who already believe the Bible, you can open up the Bible and go, here's what God's word says. Mm. And everyone's on the same page with you. Right. You know, but when you're in a room full of atheists and Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and and, and there were a variety of other, from Zoroastrian to Dots. I mean, it's amazing the people who um, enter into our space. I am talking to people who come from such different belief systems and different worldviews. And the only way you can hold them is if you talk about things that connect us all together, that resonate with the human spirit, not, not just with the person's beliefs, but with their essence. Mm, that's good, brother. That's good. I love that. I love that. So solid. Now, as pastors and ministry leaders— I think that the subject that you really tackle in your newest book, The Way of the Warrior, is so incredibly important, you know, this this inner peace. And one of, one of the thoughts that you share is that the world within you will create the world around you. Now, many, many of the things that we do as pastors tend to be external, right? We're doing ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. Erwin, why is investing the time on our inner peace so vitally important? Well, I mean, if I could be as stark as possible, I don't know if I've ever seen so many pastors committing suicide. Mm-hmm. And the people around them, I, I mean, I just, um, a few weeks ago, hugged uh, a young wife um, with, I think, three small children whose husband just killed himself and he was a pastor at a church. And, and um, you know, and maybe just I'm more aware of it because the stories are out there more. You have Instagram and social media and Twitter and other, you know, ways of, of connecting the people in their lives. But I actually think we're in a crisis. I think that, um, pastors are struggling with internal turmoil, with depression, uh, with anxiety, with panic attacks, with, I, I think that there's an, if we could just pull back the curtain, I think there are an overwhelming number of pastors who are barely making it through the day. Mm. And they're not being hypocritical. They're not being deceptive. They're preaching what they hope could become true for them, too. But they can't find a way to make it real. And, and that's one of the reasons I wrote The Way of the Warrior is because, um, one, I feel like if I don't share the authentic struggles and challenges and uh, darknesses that I struggle with in my own life, I can't help anybody. And because to me, like step one is let's just be really honest and have this conversation and say, this is all of us. Mm. We all have, we all have stuff we got to deal with. And if you're spending all your energy hiding what you're struggling with, you won't have any energy to fight what you're struggling with. That's so true. And I love in the book, you are very, very um, transparent in in many ways and sharing with us kind of what, what you have faced and what you've processed through as we're talking about pastors, and, and it's it's heartbreaking, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, we see that the suicides that uh, are, are taking place, pastors, ministers, and you would almost think that as ministry leaders, this idea of finding, experiencing, uh, living out of this inner peace we find in Christ would almost be a given. You know, it would, it would be right. something that naturally comes from us. Yet it seems, as we've talked, so many pastors are struggling— with this inner peace or what, yeah. why do you think we're, we're having such a struggle right now? You know, it's almost like it's a perfect storm. You, you know, where when you look at it historically, 
we're not that far away from where we believed in magic, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't, it seems like it's a million years ago, but it really wasn't that long ago when, when, you know, and it's still happening where people dance to the rain God so that rain will come, right. you know, and if you look at Christianity, a lot of our, a lot of our history has a lot of magic in it because what ended up happening is we just, we took on Christian language and Christian phrases and Christian slogans and we, we taught each other that if we say these things, then everything gets better. You, you know, so we're just like, you just, you're just claiming peace. Yeah. You, you know, but if really the solution was just, just claim peace, which is what everyone seems to say, well, then it should be really easy. But it's, is that any different than Hocus, you know, Abacadabra or something Right, like right. You, you know, and, uh, and, I, and I think some of it is, so the, if we have this perfect storm of, we're coming out of magic, so we know ma- the magic isn't real, but we don't know what to replace it with. And then, like, psychology came in, and therapy came in, and, and pastors were kind of going, no, 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 it's Christianity against psychology. And so you can't need a therapist, because if you need a therapist, well, then Jesus isn't your everything. And mm. so pastors didn't, you know, they left magic behind, but they didn't step into therapy. And, uh, and but they, they think that somehow theology is going to repair their psychology. And, I, and it's a hard thing to say that your belief in the doctrine of the Trinity is not going to heal the emotional scarring of feeling abandoned or neglected or even um, abused as a child. And, and so we end up with this third part of the perfect storm. It's almost like the, the Reformation, the uh, Enlightenment. And, you know, if, if you could just, I think, therefore I am. So if I can get the right theology, if I can get the right doctrines, if I can get the right belief systems, everything's going to get better. Well, you have theologians who are depressed mm-hmm. and pastors who know the Greek and the Hebrew who are ending their lives. And we have to come to this realization that we're in the middle of this perfect storm. We, um, we, we have to accept the fact that peace isn't magic and that you can love Jesus and still be struggling profoundly with inner peace, that you can have sincere faith in Jesus and still feel anxiety and fear about tomorrow. And this is a part of the complexity of being human. And, you know, and so I, 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 if I were to be frank, I've written, I think, like 10 books. I think this is the most important book I've ever written. Mm. And, and I think it's going to give us the opportunity to have some deep healing of the human spirit, which I am so excited about. So it, it, it's, but it's a starting point because, you know, first you have to be able to have this conversation and go, hey, something's not working. You know, I, I'm, I'm really depressed or I'm really down or some, you know, have you ever noticed that your life can go can be going great and you still sometimes feel numb inside right? and feel like you know, something isn't right. And, and, uh, one of the things I've learned to do even over the years, and I would just sometimes call my wife cause I travel around the world or sometimes I just be down the street and, and I'll just call her and say, you know, I'm feeling this overwhelming sense of, of disconnection and loneliness. And, uh, and I know it's rooted in, in emotions I felt as a child. And they're not connected to this moment right now, but, they, but their visceral effect is the same. It's just as real as if I was alone in the world. And I've had to learn that, that the battle of the inner world doesn't play by the same rules as the battle of the outer world. Mm. So, so as we're talking about, about that, you know, we think of the idea that Jesus is the healer, right? And, and that, that Jesus um, can heal us uh, holistically. 
how do we enter into that? Because I completely understand and agree with what you're saying about, you know, doctrine and theology and, and knowing our Greek, knowing our Hebrew isn't what's going to heal us within. So how do we really enter into more of a, of a holistic understanding of what it is Jesus truly wants to do in our lives and, and not just make it kind of ministry per usual, like, you know, going through and, you know, preparing our messages and, and doing the things that we know that we need to do in, in, in serving and ministering to our people and within our community. How is it that we, you know, step into this deeper understanding of what it is that Jesus really wants to do in transforming and healing our lives? I think this is such an important question because, I, and this is why for me, writing this book is really important because I absolutely foundationally believe that Jesus is the singular source of our healing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm not, in fact, when I became a follower of Christ, went from a, a, a university of North Carolina with a degree in philosophy and psychology to Southwestern seminary with, you know, studying theology, I thought, wait a minute, it seems like the church is giving Jesus the small things and then giving the real big problems to Freud. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and what I would say, no, Jesus is the only one who can deal with the deep problems of life. And, but it doesn't mean he, that he does it in an instant. What I keep telling people, look, if it took you 25 years to get broken, don't expect Jesus to heal you in 25 seconds. And because if you lost an arm or if you lost a leg at war and you gave your life to Jesus, you would not expect that leg suddenly to grow back. Yeah, right. You don't expect that arm to suddenly grow back. And, but we treat the human psyche mm. as if it's less essential to what it means to be human than our physical body. And I'm, if you have severe physical damage and you come to Jesus, yes, sometimes like you see people who are miraculously physically healed. But most of us, if you, if you come to Jesus and you don't, you know, you're missing a leg, you die without that leg. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you had less faith. It doesn't mean you were less whole. It just means that you you had to deal with the reality of what you lost in this life. But then we deal with things like, you know, sexual abuse or or child abuse or um, or isolation or or neglect or emotional um, living an emotionally deficient you know life. We look at these things that so many people go up grew up with as kids or even just. We didn't mean to, but we raised a generation with so much guilt and shame, they were paralyzed because they could never live up to the standards of Jesus. Mm. And, and you know, we'd use the word grace, but we didn't actually use any grace. Hmm. You know? Right, <laughs> and, right. And so we raised up a generation with this internal psychosis of masses, a massive sense of inadequacy, of driven by guilt and shame and uncertainty and a lack of identity – but at the same time telling them, oh, no, you should be living in grace and you're forgiven and your identity is in Christ. But that's not what they experienced growing up. And the reality is that this is this is more complicated than having lost an arm because your arm is just a part of your body. But when you're dealing with your soul, that's the essence of who you are. Right. So when, so I, I, I want to go back and go, A, Jesus is is the healer. He's the source of our healing. And B. The healing isn't magic. The healing is a deep work that God has to do that may take an entire lifetime. Yeah. Do you think that sometimes we just kind of gloss over those wounds that we're carrying and we just 
uh, especially in ministry, you know, uh, because I know a lot of a lot of pastors, a lot of ministers, just like anyone else, we're not immune to those wounds and those pains that uh, we've experienced over life, right? So, yeah, so do you, do you think yeah, we that do gloss over them. right, right, and, and that we just kind of move on into you know getting busy almost with ministry as opposed to slowing down and dealing with you know what what you write about in in this book, dealing with how to um, walk that that path of you know inner peace. Yeah, I, I think a part of the challenge is that we kind of say to people in a very sometimes direct way, sometimes indirect way. If you're struggling with this stuff, you're just really weak. Mm. So just suck it, suck it up, <laughs> right, <know>? right. <laughs> and, uh, and get your life together. And so then you're a pastor, and you're like, you never had any processing to deal with this deep stuff, but you developed gifts and talents. You get an education. You developed the competencies you needed. So everyone said, "Oh, great, you can lead now. You can preach." Uh, you know. Uh, you're, you're, you're at least basically functional, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you've gotten rid of all the big sins in your life. So now you're ready to go. And now you're, you now you're a pastor and your whole life is dependent on your work. You're married, you have kids, you, you can't just quit in your mind because you, know, you got to take care of your family. This is the only career you have. And you don't have any time to actually go back and fix the things that should have been fixed when you were younger in Christ. Mm. And, and so I, I think the more you have to lose the harder it is to create the space to gain the ground you actually desperately need in your life. And so I, I want to go, hey, I, I lived a life of incredible adventure, high risk. Um, from most measures, I've lived a life that has had uh, a lot of impact. And I've been in the business world. I've been really successful as a business person and entrepreneur and as a, an artist and designer. And, you know, and, and, what I, and our churches. That you know has an incredible impact on on Los Angeles and Hollywood. The only reason I'm saying this is because I feel like I need to be able to go. Hey, God can actually take you and all your brokenness and all your weaknesses and do amazing things with your life. And so that's one side of it. You're not going to limit God by owning your weakness, mm. but you can't. But you are going to limit God by not owning your weaknesses. And and so I want to go. Hey, if you see me as a person who's strong and you know, who has some things together, I want to tell you this internal battle has been such a challenge and, but you can win it. See, this book is not, um, this book is not desperate. It's not nihilistic. Right. What it's not saying is, Hey, this is the way it is. And we're stuck here. Right. Right. What it is saying is, Hey, I've been as broken and empty and desperate as any of you. And I have found a way to healing, to strength, to wholeness, and in some bizarre, more superficial way, to happiness. You know, because right. I, I actually enjoy my life. I love life, and it's still not perfect. I enjoy life, and I'm still working through stuff, and that's the wonder of it. You can you can keep getting healthy while you're loving life, rather than waiting to love life until one day you're healthy. That's good. That's good, and I think that speaks to a lot of a lot of us in ministry in in the places we are because we have some of these unresolved issues in our lives you know pains and wounds in our lives and yet we feel like we are you know just uh, you know just week in week out just continuing to to do what we need to do for the ministry in which we find ourselves mm-hmm. and we we kind of suppress those um 
the inner cry for healing in a lot of ways because we're we're so focused on keeping things going. What would you say, Erwin, to the pastor who, as as you're kind of sharing there, who says, "That's me." You know, I mean, I'm that. That is exactly me. I'm in ministry. I've you know kind of got the compassy together. I've done the studies. I'm doing it, but but I have brokenness. But yet, I I, I don't feel I'm in a place where I can. Uh, you know, step away to try to find some healing. How do we find healing in the midst of our ministry? Well, I mean, it sounds like a setup question because what I would say is that's exactly why I wrote this book is because I've spent my life mentoring people and guiding people through this process as well as going through it myself. And I can't be there one-on-one with everyone. And uh, I have a 30-year-old son and a 27-year-old daughter and you know, their emotional and relational and spiritual well-being are the most important things in the world to me. And I've poured as much intimacy and value and um, and of myself into this book as I would have if I only wrote it for my kids. Mm. And, and part of the reason I called it The Way of the Warrior, which I think is kind of cool, is that, one, we normally th- see things like emotional health and, you know, finding inner peace, learning how to you know, get your identity rooted properly, dealing with anxiety and fear. We normally see these as like the conversations of the week. Right. So I, it's, the book is called The Way of the Warrior to say, this is our most noble and our most important battle. You are, you're not weak if you get into this war. You're actually a warrior. And, and I also wanted to write it in a way where a man can take this book I mean, I think this uh, this book is written, and I think women are going to really connect to it. But I wanted to subversively make it a book that men could take with them, you know, because I wrote a book on, you know, how to become emotionally healthy or emotionally whole or something like that. Or I don't know how many men will want to carry that book around, going, <laughs> "Hey, let's let, let's do a men's book club around," you know, dealing with my fear or my anxiety. Right. But you know, but when you're talking about, no, this is the way of the warrior. Let's let's. Let's do a book club. Let's do a, you know, let's create a, a movement of how to walk in the way of the warrior. Then it, it has a more epic kind of dynamic. And I do think this is the most important battle we'll ever fight. And so even the way I crafted the title and the narrative, I wrote it like an old Japanese samurai uh, speaking to the young Japanese samurai, passing on their ancient wisdom. And I tried to write it in a way where a person would feel like, wow, someone is actually here with me taking me through the deep stuff of my life. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I love the fact that, you know, it's, and I agree 100% with you as, as I've read the book. You know, I'm glad you don't have, um, you know, butterflies on the cover and that sort of a thing, you know, <laughs> um, like like many books kind of along these lines of inner peace might, right? So this is the yeah. way the warrior, and I, I love it because it um, it's like there's this idea of, of being courageous, you know, mm-hmm. through this whole thing, like, like this path to inner peace through Christ is, um, it takes courage to move through these things. It takes courage to, to process through what does it mean for us to, you know, have, have a, a mindset that honors God, right. In a mindset that, that kind of moves mm-hmm. us beyond some of the things we're caught up in and really having that mastery over our minds. And, and what does it mean to, for us to to fight, and I love the the fact that you you talk about this idea that we're fighting for peace. That this is this battle mm-hmm. that we're all in, whether we recognize it or not. What would you uh, say to the person who says, "I feel like I'm generally at peace, 
and I'm just kind of good with, with how life is, but I'm not necessarily um, walking this path with Jesus. So they're sensing somewhat of a, uh, because we have lots of conversations with people that are very spiritual and, and they kind of have the sense of, you know, maybe well-being, but there's maybe some deeper things in their lives. How, how do you have those conversations? Because I know you get to have lots of those conversations to help people understand that just because things seem to be pretty decent in life doesn't mean we've got it all together fully. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you probably noticed that when I write, I, I never write to a person uh, just to the person who believes that right. uh, the person who is still searching and trying to make sense of life, who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in Jesus, they're still very much like my audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I pitched the idea to the publishers, they actually told me later, oh, we were surprised that you talk so much about Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and I said, well, like in some ways I write in my book surprised me too, but I go, but really the truth is, I began writing about peace and it makes, and it made me crash into Jesus. Mm. And, uh, and that's what I would say to a person who's out, you know, who is outside of, of, uh, of the faith in, in Jesus is that, that there's like a huge human experiment that's been taking place for several thousand years to see if we can actually create a world defined by peace without God. And we failed miserably. Mm. And and ironically, even religions have failed to create a world of peace. And and and, and, and uh, ironically, religion, religions have become the reason for wars right. across the world. And and so what I would say is like if you're looking at just at the empirical evidence, human beings appear incapable of creating peace by themselves. And, and yet, since we've never known peace, we shouldn't even have the idea of peace. A lot of people say, well, I can't believe in God because, you know, uh, you can't prove God. There's no, con- you know, how, where did the concept of God come from? And, and I'm like, where did the concept of peace come from? You can't prove peace. Hmm. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, it takes more faith to believe in peace than it takes to believe in God. Right. Because you 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 have to use secondary evidence to prove there's no God. You can use primary evidence to prove there's no peace. And uh, and yet there's something inside of us that longs for world peace and longs for inner peace. And a huge part of my argument would be, what is it about human beings that are driven to something we've actually never known as the human experience? What I would say is that this is what I would call the phantom pain of the soul, that your soul actually knows that something is missing, that it was created for. Because the curious thing about phantom pain is that you cannot have phantom pain unless you lose a limb you once had. Mm. And, And so you lose an arm, you remember, you feel the pain of the loss of arm. It's as if that arm was still there, even though it's gone. And peace is like a phantom pain. We wouldn't have a phantom pain for peace unless we were designed for peace, unless there was a source of peace, unless our our um, our inception came from peace. That's why I say, well, that's what points me back to God, because when the scriptures tell us that you know that God is the source of all peace, that you know Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When you look at the scriptures, the language of peace 
is throughout the Bible. And it just hit me almost like a, a hot iron against my face that we keep calling God a God of war. And, and uh, in fact, before I was a, a follower of Christ, I laughed at Christianity and discounted it because I read a small passage in the Old Testament where there's a war. And so it can't be God. It, it cannot be a real God because how can the God of love hmm. be inciting war? Right. And, and the, one of the arguments of this book is, is that, all right, if there is no God, there's still war. See, if there is no God, we still have a world desperate for peace. And, and so when we use that as, as a, a proof that there's no God, it's actually uh, an inadequate proof because if there's no God, we still have the same problems. A world at war filled with violence, filled with jealousy and greed and envy and avarice and a humanity longing for peace that it has never known. And what I would say is that no, war is human history. Peace is God's history. Mm. That God's reputation has been tainted by his refusal to give up on us. And so, yes, God is at war. He's at war for us. He is warring for peace. But he entered into our violence. And so then you look at the cross. You look at Jesus on the cross, and it becomes this, this tragically perfect intersection of the human story of violence and the story of God, of peace. And God fights the war unfairly. Instead of trying to overpower us, he surrenders himself to us is crucified, so through his death we have life. This is the most unexpected battle strategy, war strategy, that humanity has ever known. God wins the war by losing it, mm. so that he can give us peace by receiving upon himself all of our violence. That's beautiful, brother. That's so good. That's solid. Solid. Everyone uh, needs to rewind the podcast and listen through that one more time at least, <laughs> right? Maybe put it on repeat. Oh, man, Erwin, it's been so good to have you with us. Before we end our conversation, I'd love to give you just a moment. If there's anything else, again, you're talking to pastors, talking to ministry leaders. I know uh, these people are, are dear to your heart. You've mentored so many over the years. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the pastors and ministry leaders listening in today? Uh, you know, one thing I would say is, you know, I'm 60 years old, and it is never too late to begin the life you've always longed for. It's never too late to find the peace that your soul has been longing for. It's never too late to watch God turn your marriage around, your relationship to your kids, you know, your view of life. You're not supposed to just make it through the day. You're not supposed to just survive. And you're, you're, you're that suffering is not a virtue mm. that God wants to give you joy. He wants your life to be filled with meaning and intention and purpose. And you don't have to do this alone. And so I would just encourage you, you know, just to, to step into the life God has for you and believe that your life is supposed to be the kind of life where you wake up in the morning and you're so grateful you have another day. Yes. Yes, brother. Erwin, love and appreciate you so much. Thank you for being with us. The Way of the Warrior, An Ancient Path to Inner Peace, incredible book. We'll have links to that in our show notes for our listeners. Really encourage all of you to be picking that up and reading it. Um, thank you for sharing your heart, encouraging us to uh, seek that inner peace through Jesus. Thank you so much. God bless you. All right. Hey, God bless you. too, bro. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews. 
as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.